mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, imagine growing up as the son of a high-ranking member of one of the most powerful and pervasive crime families in America. Scott Hoffman writes about that experience in his new almost true story of a childhood inside. Also this morning in our community and business spotlight, mark your calendar and bring your appetite. The third annual Pizza Lollapalooza to benefit cancer patient services is coming up later this month. And it is an ironic reality that many of the people in America's rural areas, the very individuals who put healthy meals on our table, are themselves often food and healthcare insecure. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition. For Thursday, September 14th, 2023. So yesterday, you remember uh, our cover story, we were talking about the guidance on this year's flu shot. We're already starting to uh, get reminders, get your flu shot. Uh, New COVID boosters uh, have been greenlit by the FDA, so those will be available here very soon. Uh, With respect to COVID, I saw this story on the uh, Newswire this morning. Would you be more likely to get your COVID vaccination and or booster if you didn't have to get a jab? If it were in oral form, a new pill may help protect you from COVID without having to get a shot. Researchers in Japan have recently developed a way to take the vaccine in pill form. It would release into your mucus instead of your bloodstream, instead of directly into your bloodstream, which would allow the treatment to combat the virus faster than the shot. Uh, This is more effective, they say, because COVID infects bronchial cells. Uh, They tested it out on primates, and when given to the monkeys, the pill did not seem to cause any side effects. So I don't know if that interests you, but... There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. This is actually kind of cool. NASA astronaut Frank Rubio now holds the record for the longest mission in space by an American astronaut. Uh, This week, he passed 355 days on the International Space Station. 355 days. He is a West Point grad, a doctor and helicopter pilot by training, which is an interesting combination. (laughs) I don't know how many doctor slash helicopter pilots there are out there. Uh, He says he is looking forward to reaching one full year in space. He is scheduled to return to Earth on September 27th. Will, uh, he will have spent 371 days in space. I don't know if I could do that. You know, I mean, going to space would be cool, and I think that would be just an amazing experience, but I don't know if I would want to spend a full year in outer space, a full year on the International Space Station. It's not really big, and... I just don't know if I could do that for a year, you know? What would be... It brings up an interesting question. What would be the biggest thing that you would miss if you spent a year in space? What would you miss the most about life on Earth? I mean, other than seeing your family, seeing your 
spouse, your kids, whatever it might happen to be, you know, family and and friends, that kind of thing. I, I th- that would be a given, I would think. Uh, but beyond that, what would you miss most? For me, I think it would be the food. I would miss having real food. It's not like they've got a gourmet kitchen on the International Space Station. And uh, speaking of food, uh, that transitions to this. How about that for a segue? Um, National Pancake Day is right around the corner. It is September the 26th, so Frank Rubio is going to miss it by a day. He's going to be back on September 27th, and September 26th is National Pancake Day. The website OnlineCasinos.com uh, set out to answer the big question on everyone's plate with National Pancake Day right around the corner. What is the nation's favorite pancake topping? Pancake lovers, of course, known for their creativity when it comes to toppings. And uh, this year was no exception in this year's survey. Now, why OnlineCasinos.com puts this out, I have no idea. But they did, and we have the results. It turns out that the classic choice of buttered pancakes is number one. No big surprise there. Uh, Twenty-seven. They broke this down state by state. Twenty-seven states uh, chose butter as the top butter and syrup and all of that. But following closely in second place, strawberries. Strawberries on your pancakes. That is the healthier option. And seven states selected strawberries. And rounding out the top three is the irresistible chocolate chips, the preferred topping for those with a sweet tooth. Um, Five states chose uh, chocolate chips. So those are the uh, top three. Although I thought this was kind of interesting. When you dig a little deeper into the numbers, you get past the top three, which are kind of predictable. Uh, Some states uh, really took advantage of the abundance of pancake topping options uh, in their decision-making process. South Carolina, uh, let's see here. South Carolina, a sweet showdown between chocolate chips, pecans, or other nuts, and whipped cream on their pancake. In Utah, uh, the top three choices were chocolate chips, peanut butter, and fruit. My wife likes peanut butter on her pancakes. I I'm I like peanut butter, but not on my pancakes. I didn't, I don't know. Um, and uh, this is kind of interesting. States like Kansas, New Mexico, Rhode Island, and Wyoming kind of went rogue on this, choosing peanut butter, chocolate syrup, and bacon. Bacon on your pancakes. I have to say, I've never tried bacon on my pancakes. I have bacon with my pancakes, but bacon on my pancakes, I've never really tried. It is not just about the toppings, though, they say. It's about the love of the pancake itself. The survey revealed that Mississippi holds the title for the most pancake-obsessed state, devouring pancakes an average of seven times a month. Uh, Utah and West Virginia follow closely, enjoying pancakes five times a month. So, here you go. Now, more than you ever wanted to know about pancakes. September 26th, National Pancake Day. I thought uh, Pancake Day was uh, right before uh, Ash Wednesday. It was like Fat Tuesday. Isn't that Pancake Day? Isn't that when you buy pancakes? 
Apparently, it's September 26th. So, there you go. A couple of other items here among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. (laughs) This is another uh, interesting survey that caught my eye. It is a survey of 2,000 single parents, single parents in this survey, and they found that it takes a single parent 38 minutes on a date to determine if they want a second date. <laughs> they are not messing around. They are on a first date. They are getting right down to business. 38% or 38 minutes to determine if they want a second date with someone. And 55 minutes is all it takes for single parents who are dating to know if they are interested in becoming intimate with that person. 55 minutes. That's not to say that after 55 minutes, if they're interested, they hop in the sack. Uh, that quickly, but they know if they are interested in pursuing a romantic or intimate relationship within an hour. 57% of single dating parents say they like to embrace their silly side more than before they became single. 42% say they are more open-minded after having kids. 48% have a clearer picture of what they want from a partner than presumably when they got married the first time around. And uh, 23% are willing to date outside of their usual type. Now, everybody has that type of individual that they're typically attracted to. 23%, nearly one in four, say that they are willing to go uh, outside their, their type or their comfort zone to find a, uh, a date. Single parents, according to uh, the uh, website Stir, Rachel D'Alto, a spokesperson for Stir.com, says single parents are dating for more than just sex. They're not looking for you know partners in that way. 57% of single parents say their favorite part of dating is is just simply having fun. I would think that's uh, that's not a surprise. If you are a single parent, you're just looking for a night away from the kids, a night to relax and have fun with, with other adults. Uh, so kind of interesting there. If you're a single parent, you can probably relate to that. And I love this story. I, I wanted to share this uh, as maybe one of the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting stories of the day garbage collectors in turkey have created a library like no other the garbage collectors in the chankaya district of the capital city of ankara turkey began collecting books that had been tossed uh, tossed aside and were destined for landfills people i guess throwing away unused books And so these garbage collectors noticed that people were throwing away books, said these are perfectly good books. And so they, over the years, amassed a collection of thousands of books that was enough to open a public library. And uh, they've been doing this uh, for years, but a recent uh, social media post has garnered renewed attention to this effort. According to CNN, the collection of books was originally only for employees and their families to borrow. But as the collection grew, along with public interest, these 
uh, garbage collectors have decided to open the library to the public. It is now overseen by the local government there in Ankara, Turkey. We started to discuss the idea of creating a library from these discarded books, according to the mayor of the district. And when everyone supported it, this project happened. The library, located in a previously vacant brick factory on the grounds of the city sanitation department, and boasts books ranging from fiction to nonfiction. There's a kids section with comic books and a section dedicated to scientific research, even. It also has books available in multiple languages. Library has become so popular, the residents began donating books rather than throwing them away, which I think is just absolutely fabulous. So kudos to those uh, garbage collectors. <laughs> in the nation of Turkey. I just thought that was a terrific story. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny skies today with a high around 70. Partly cloudy tonight, alone in the upper 40s. Finley City Schools will be holding a new event called the Morning Brew Coffee and Conversation with Dr. Hatton so people can get to know the new superintendent and he can hear from people about what they expect from him and the school district. Anyone can uh, come, grab a cup of tea, cup of coffee, and sit down and just have a conversation with me. I just want to listen and learn about uh, current experiences and what people expect out of um, you know our school district. And I want to share a little bit about our story. The first one will be held at Coffee Amici on Friday morning at 7. Get more of our conversation with Dr. Hatton in the story on our website. The Catholic Diocese of Cleveland has issued new rules for its affiliated churches and schools relating to sexuality and gender identity. It says no student can get gender-affirming care or wear clothing of the opposite sex, among other new guidelines. Now, those new rules went into effect immediately, but not all Catholics agree with it. They say it could cause physical harm to children and could lead to some families leaving the Catholic Church. I'm Yolanda Harris. The Finley Post of the Ohio State Highway Patrol is inviting the public to join them in celebrating the Highway Patrol's 90th anniversary. The celebration will be held on Wednesday, September 20th from 10 to 2 at the Finley Post at 3201 North Main Street in Finley. The public is invited to come out and tour the post, meet personnel, and even talk to a recruiter if they want to. Get more details about the Highway Patrol's 90th anniversary celebration in Finley in the story on our website. Some changes will be coming to a Cleveland landmark. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame planning a break ground on a long-awaited expansion project next month on the 5th. The Rock Hall says it's raised $135 million towards this project. The 50,000-square-foot addition creates an area for traveling exhibits, a venue for indoor events, purposes. There's a new entrance lobby and more. I'm Tracy Townsend. Don't forget you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, imagine growing up as the son of a high-ranking member of one of the most powerful and pervasive crime families in America. Scott Hoffman writes about it in his new book. It is called Inside. And Scott, this is more or less your story, right? And, and yes, it really is, because as I tell people, while the book is fictional, it's uh, composites of real people and real events 
that took place and what I saw and what makes the book unique because people always say to me, well, there's all sorts of mob books out right. there is you're seeing it through the eyes of a child mm-hmm. because, because when I was eight years old, I started to go to Las Vegas with my father as he had the plan for the seven hotels and seven casinos in 1956. Mm. So my, my mob involvement as far as part, uh, observation started at that point. Yeah. So a fictional book inspired by heavily influenced by real people and real events. Is that because writing a straightforward memoir would be too risky? Well, because of there was uh, potential legal issues, of course. Mm. The lawyers for the publishing company were not real pleased if I did it in a strictly in a memoir. Yeah. Because obviously that would leave yourself open to family members. That's, mm-hmm. where, that's where the lawsuits would come from, family members. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, the unique twist on this story, because there are plenty of books about organized crime, is that it is told from the viewpoint through the eyes of a child. What was that like? Uh, coming to the realization that this is who your father was and this is what he did? Well, you know, Chris, it was a very difficult thing because you have to remember that I am a child with a child's brain. Right. And I'm not an adult who can uh, figure these things out a lot easier with an adult's brain. And I'm in a life that no one else was having. In other words, I had to fit in with my elementary school classmates, kids in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it was it was difficult because I never had birthday parties. I never had a bicycle. And my father never took me to a Chicago Cubs baseball game. It was a wise guy who took me. So I had I was involved in a criminal life as a child from a very, very young age. Yeah. Now, normally, there's a mob rule. Every family pr- pretty much follows this mob rule that cops and kids are off limits. Right. Okay. But that rule wasn't going to apply to me, and it didn't apply to me because the outfit at its height was bringing in $200 million a year from criminal, all the criminal activities, hmm. and there was a lot of them. Las Vegas was bringing in $100 million. Of yeah, two hundred million. At, at, at what point uh, do you remember uh, the the moment when you realized that what was going on was in fact illegal? That this was organized crime. That this was different than other kids' dads and the work that they did. Well, I figured out really from when I was nine years old. It was actually on my ninth birthday when I saw my first murder. Well, that so didn't I knew do it. <laughs> that that, uh, that they put the nail in the coffin, yeah. you know, both from li- that point on, I knew this was not a normal life. Yeah, both literally and figuratively uh, in that case. So, so I'm curious then, what kind of moral compass you developed growing up? Because, I mean, this is a very formative part of a young person's life when you learn Absolutely. the difference. When you learn the difference between right and wrong. So did you learn the difference between right and wrong? Well, I saw right and wrong, but to me, you have to remember, and if you put yourself in my place, that wrong was normal. Yeah. Okay, wrong was very, very normal. Right. You got to remember, I, I was with my father when he paid off corrupt politicians, corrupt judges. We had corrupt law enforcement. So to me, just those things alone were normal. I never knew uh, a straight cop, let us say, a legit cop, okay? At a child's age, I didn't know that. So for me, the activities, the things I'm seeing, gambling, loan sharking, extortion, money laundering, uh, adult pornography, child pornography, I never got along with them, murders, and, and, other, and other 
criminal activities. Yeah. For me, that was normal. That would be as normal as, uh, say, your mom and dad would take you uh, out on a picnic or a nice uh, summer vacation somewhere. Mm-hmm. That'd be normal childhood. Yeah. Was there the expectation either from yourself or others that one day you would follow in your father's footsteps? Uh, did he did he try to encourage or discourage that? What my father did with me was right from the beginning, right from the beginning was when of going starting to go to Las Vegas when I was eight years old. He said to me, Scott, you're going to see everything. Okay, you're going to see everything. So your eyes are going to be open. And you're going to make the decision. I'm not going to force you. I'm not grooming you. But you have to have your eyes open because I don't want you to have expectations of a life that's really not the way the life is, which is how mob life is called in the life. So his pretty much approach with me was you're going to see everything. It would just be like, uh, Chris, if you brought his son or daughter to your uh, place of work and showed him, you know, what you did, mm-hmm. but it's going to be your decision, what you wanted to do. Yeah. And he left it. He didn't groom me, you know, but I, I am curious because from what we are given to understand about uh, the mafia is that once you are in, it's very hard to get out uh, that you are seen as a liability. And as in as you were as a child, seeing all that you had seen, how difficult would that be to turn away and not go into that life? It, it wasn't as hard as people make it. It wasn't as hard as the movies make it. Yeah. Because we had some guys that were minority in numbers that left the life. I mean, they would learn a trade. They, uh, one guy sold insurance. I mean, guys did other things. The reason guys went back to the life are repetitive is because they had no education or skills yeah. to do anything but criminal life. So they went right back into it. That's all they knew. But guys who wanted to get out, uh, there were guys that got out. I mean, it wasn't big in numbers, but there were guys that went out. I mean, we had a guy, uh, his name was Charles, Charlie, uh, Champagne Charlie. He was actually before me. I think he died in 1955. He was a, a, from the Capone area. He came to New York from to Chicago from uh, New York. And when someone would ask him, "Can anybody leave the outfit?" and he says, "Sure, they would leave feet first. So you know, like I say, people that had no other skills or other ways out. Yeah. They went back to the life. You also get into some of the history of the outfit, the Chicago mob, whatever uh, terminology you want to use. And I thought it was uh, really interesting, as you were alluding to. I mean, this is this is the same outfit that was led by Al Capone back in the day. How prominent is it even Today, I mean, you, you reference uh, going to uh, Las Vegas and and so on. And when the mob sort of got pushed out of Las Vegas, I think a lot of people thought that the mob just went away. How pervasive is this even now? Well, it's still they're still there. The outfit has been around for over 120 years. Mm-hmm. And far as Chicago, there's still four street crews. And in fact, in uh, 2022, they signed, a, I would say, a business agreement with what's left of the Kansas City mob family and hmm. the Philadelphia mob family, who yeah. has more members. So it's still pervasive. It's not as much. Example, in Illinois, now you can gamble from your phone. Right. Okay. 
So, you know, there's things that have been changes that have been made, but uh, it's still pervasive. I mean, the New York families, the five families, they're still active because they're still getting younger people to come up. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, when you don't have the, the people coming up from the areas that used to produce people, uh, then it, you know, becomes a problem. You look down the bench and there's no one on the bench. But as far as the outfit, yeah, they're still around. And as I, my father one time said to me, I, was, I said to him, I said, Dad, when do you think this is all really going to end? I was maybe in my late 20s, you know, at that point. And he said, Scott, the day it'll end is when an FBI agent comes to work on Monday and his boss says, we're transferring you to another unit because there's no more reason. We don't have any La Cosa Nostra cases anymore. So we're transferring you. We're disbanding the unit. And uh, Chris, so far that has not happened. Yeah. Again, Scott Hoffman is author of the new book, Inside. It is a an inside look at growing up in a mob family. Really fascinating stuff. Very unique perspective. Scott, do you have a website in conjunction with the book by chance? Well, I don't have a website, but okay. I'll tell you how the people can get the book. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, it's on Amazon, and if you put in my name, Scott, S-C-O-T-T, middle initial M. You have to put in that middle initial because there's so many Ho- Scott Hoffman <laughs> authors out there. Yeah. And my last name, Hoffman, H-O-F-F-M-A-N, and then put in the word inside, and you will see my book uh, on Amazon. It will come up. We will link that up on our webpage as well, make it even easier. Scott, thanks, yeah. for, thanks very much for uh, taking the time, and uh, certainly best of luck with the book. Thank you so much, Chris, and thank you for giving me the time to speak to you and to your listeners. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Coming up later this month, it is the third annual Pizza Lollapalooza Presented by Lone Depot, it is a fundraiser for Cancer Patient Services. Rick Tidd is with us uh, with uh, more details, along with uh, Scott Snap from Lone Depot. And thanks, guys, for uh, dropping in. We appreciate it. Rick, tell us about uh, everything that's happening. Uh, it's September 30th, right, is the big day? That's correct. September okay. 30th, the doors open at 4 o'clock. Okay. So you can come in and get your tickets for your pizza and desserts. We have inflatables for the kids, face painting. Balloon animals, and we will have some different characters there okay. for the kids to enjoy. And um, at six o'clock, we have a <laughs> well, well, you'll be there, so we know there will be characters. <laughs> yeah, there. Uh, that, that kind of goes without saying. But, and, uh, at but six no. o'clock, we need some a few more entrants. We have a pizza eating contest. Okay, that's All always right. a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many pizza joints are uh, participating this year? As of right now, we have three. Okay, um, always looking for more. Always, I know there are more. more uh, around so this is your chance to to show off your COVID is still kind of reared its ugly head yeah, people have issues with um employees and yeah, so forth yeah but uh this is a great event and for a great cause here's what i'm wondering which came first uh, the pizza lalapalooza part or the cancer patient services part i mean was this we want to do a, a fundraiser for cps why don't we do the the pizza lalapalooza or we want to have a p- pizza lalapalooza who do we do it to benefit? I'm kind of the um, one who started this, and uh-huh. I have served on the board of Cancer Patient Services. Okay. I ran the Chili Cook-Off for three years, right? so it's kind of my favorite charity. <laughs> and I just rounded up a bunch of great people to help mm-hmm. me run this. That's kind of how it got going. So uh, this is all happening, again, September 30th. Uh, where is the event? It's at, at the Hancock County Fairgrounds. Okay. In the Legacy Building. Okay, the Legacy Building at the uh, at the fairgrounds. And uh, what is admission? 
Farm. I'm sorry, there's no cost at all to get in. Really? You can bring your kids out there and have a great time and spend no money. Terrific. Which doesn't help our fundraising. Right. But if you come out and you can buy tickets, they'll get your pizza. Mm-hmm. Great pizza, great desserts, drinks. All those kind of things. Yeah, so uh, you can have as much food or as little food as you like. Correct. Uh, But bring your appetite because it is a fundraiser for cancer patient services. Is that one of the things that really got you involved, uh, Scott? Yeah, you know, us at Lone Depot, we're always looking for ways to give back to the community. We appreciate all the support they've given us since we opened up here five years ago. And uh, I think we've all been touched by the terrible disease of cancer. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of near and dear to our heart and an opportunity to give back a little bit to a good cause. And, and of course, you can put back some pizza, too. I can, I've been known to eat a little bit. <laughs> so this is a perfect, perfect uh, <laughs> event, perfect tie-in. Um, talk a little bit about, and, and Rick, you, like you said, you've been on the board of Cancer Patient Services for a long time, and why this is such an important event and, and, a, and an important agency to raise money for. Well, it's, it's like Scott said, just about everybody's been touched. Yeah my cancer and the cancer patient services all you have to do is live or work in hancock county and have a cancer diagnosis and they provide all kind of support for um, money to go to chemotherapy and equipment and nutrition and all of it is a no charge yeah and and one of the things that we've talked about with the folks at cps in the past is when you get that diagnosis there are so many uh, expenses, so many things that you don't anticipate. I mean, you know it's going to be expensive to treat. You know that's going in. But so many other things come up that you don't always expect or, or even know to expect. And they, they also have a patient advocacy there that helps the patients navigate all these issues mm-hmm. and problems. So, again, it is a most worthy cause for all the great work that they do. Third annual Pizza Lollapalooza. The date is September 30th, right? September 30th, 4 and o'clock. 4 o'clock at the uh, Hancock County Fairgrounds uh, for, uh, we hope, there's still time for for more pizza places to, to join in and, and all of that too, right? So if you, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing rumors of some new pizza places trying mm-hmm. to open in Finley. This would be a great oh. opportunity to get out and get your name out there. Absolutely. So. And uh, folks will be able to uh, vote for their favorites, right? Correct. You're going to have uh, pizza eating contest judges and uh, people's choice and all of that. So bragging rights on the line. There you go. We've got a link up for more information at our webpage. You have a webpage, Facebook page. Facebook page, Yeah, yes. Facebook page uh, for the uh, Pizza Lollapalooza. Scott Snap, Rick Tidd, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for Thank having you. us. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Leading off our broken news report this morning is a story out of Buena Park, California, where an unidentified woman, her name not given in this report, but a woman uh, was... Uh, stealing from a local uh, Target store, and like any good thief, I mean, if you if you are shoplifting, if you are stealing things, uh, you don't want to get caught, right? You want to uh, you know make sure that you you get away. Uh, you don't you don't want to be uh, caught red-handed. So she came up with a brilliant plan uh, to uh, cover up uh, her crime of theft. She decided to set fire to the store. <laughs> she. She was reportedly attempting to steal baby formula earlier this month uh, when she distri- decided she needed a distraction 
So she started a fire which spread through the children's clothing section. Fortunately, no one was injured, uh, but the uh, suspect, it didn't really, <laughs> didn't really detract attention quite the way she had anticipated. She has been placed under arrest by the Buena Park Police. Damage estimated at over $1 million. So I'm guessing she probably faces some more serious charges than she would have had she been caught for simply shoplifting baby formula. So in the end, not quite the brilliant plan. <laughs> Perhaps she thought it was. <laughs> Elsewhere, the uh, broken news in the wilds of Canada's British Columbia Squamish area, where rock climbers roam. It's very big rock climbing. Uh, there's a lot of cliffs, a lot of, um, you know, a uh, very uh, interesting new program has uh, come onto the scene. It's all about tackling a rather crappy problem that they have there, literally. So let me see if I can set the scene here without completely grossing you out. About uh, 64 kilometers north of Vancouver, the halfway point to Whistler, which is a beautiful part of Canada, British Columbia, they are handing out bags to climbers, not bags of snacks or uh, bags to hold their gear, bags that are like dog poop bags where they can clean up their own waste. You see, as Ben Webster, the Squamish Access Society chair, puts it, the popularity of rock climbing in the area uh, has exploded in the region, and with that comes a rather unsavory side effect, human waste at all the wrong places, like the base of the cliff. Which, if you think about it, you're climbing the side of a cliff, and you have to go. There's not really a portage on or a restroom on the side of the cliff, so people are just doing their business and letting it fall fall to the base of the, of the rocks. Uh, sometimes climbers even stumble upon the not-so-pleasant surprises uh, when they are making their way to the uh, rock climbing area. So this is very, this is, this is not good. One of the uh, owners of the uh, business Climb On, which is, you know, caters to these rock climbers, Katie Holm, says, uh, these bags are not your typical flimsy dog poop picker-upper bags. Uh, they are quite more robust. And while some... Folks in the climbing community there in British Columbia might find it a bit bizarre to start bagging their business. She says she hopes everyone will give it a try. They've already set up five stations at climbing spots and uh, four more are planned. And so far, uh, the climbers are cooperating. So it's made a dent in the problem of people doing their business just off the side of the cliff. So. I never really thought about that, but I guess that would be a problem when you when you think about it. Uh, let's see. Researchers at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, are still marveling over the discovery of an unidentified organism found off the Gulf of Alaska. Scientists found... Now, get this. This is what caught my eye about this report. 
the description of this item that they have found. Scientists found the golden orb-like organism late last month during an expedition by Seascape Alaska. It is a dome-shaped thing, a dome-shaped object, smooth and gold in color. They don't know what it is, but they are working in the lab to find out. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't doesn't that sound? Doesn't that the description sound exactly like the alien craft in War of the Worlds? <laughs> Dome-shaped, smooth, golden color, <laughs> and a golden orb-like organism. Uh, that just sounds <laughs> very ominous. You know what I mean? I'm not sure I want to know what that is. Let's just leave that lie. You know I'm. <laughs> Uh, we, are, we are all doomed. <clears throat> a dramatic arrest unfolded um, this past, was it this past Monday? I guess this past week uh, in Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, Barton Tibando uh, uh, found himself in hot water. Um, he's 53 years old. He was suspected of carjacking. Uh, but th- again, it didn't go quite the way he had planned. Uh, the carjacking suspect lost control of his vehicle during a police chase and crashed directly into the wall of the Manchester Police Department building. <laughs> According to the report, the chain of events began with uh, Tabando. Mr. Tabando attempting to evade law enforcement in a van that had been implicated in an earlier armed carjacking in Nashua, New Hampshire. High-speed pursuit um, through a number of red lights, ultimately culminating in a collision with a vehicle traveling north uh, on Maple Street. The van careened wildly out of control, plowing into and dislodging four sturdy granite barriers positioned in front of the police department building and straight into the wall of the uh, PD. Remarkably, no injuries were reported from the crash. In a daring escape uh, attempt, Mr. Tibando fled from the wrecked vehicle into the police department's parking lot, where he was, surprise, surprise, confronted by officers, (laughs) and he eventually had to be tased in order to be subdued. He now faces a number of charges, (laughs) says here. (laughs) A number of charges. Uh, His arraignment is set for next week. Uh, Let's see. And finally, the broken news this morning. This is actually a sweet story. It just goes to show the lengths that we humans will go to save our animal friends. Rescuers in New York moved a 5,000-pound slab of concrete to rescue a kitten the other day. The furry feline was heard crying 30 feet down a drain near Port Jefferson on Long Island. Rescuers were called in, used the jaws of life to remove a 5,000-pound slab from atop the drain to reach reach the kitten. Uh, Fortunately, the animal uh, is doing just fine, was taken to the Jefferson Animal Hospital and will soon be available for adoption. That is pretty cool right there. A 5,000-pound slab of concrete just to rescue a little kitten.
kudos all the way around. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. What time do you eat dinner? And I know uh, family schedules being what they are, sometimes it's uh, you know crazy time. But normally, uh, as a matter of routine, when you do get the chance to sit down with your family and have dinner, what time is that? Well, Americans have started to eat the final meal of the day earlier in the day, according to uh, new reservation data from restaurants uh, around the country, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. For years, the trend has been uh, Americans eating dinner later and later, but they say the pandemic has driven a change to this. Uh, It is now trending earlier. Restaurants are now seating 10% of diners between 2 and 5 p.m., which is double the percentage of seating for dinner from 2019. So over the past several years, uh, it's been trending earlier. Restaurants are also closing their kitchens earlier, around 9 p.m. now uh, during weekdays. Chef Zach Engel of uh, one of Chicago's uh, finer restaurants said, not a whole lot of people want to do a big meal closer you know in the evening closer to bedtime or eat so late that they're leaving the restaurant at midnight anymore it is well documented that food and nutrition and overall health are all interconnected, but in many parts of this country, especially in rural America, people don't always have the access to these types of resources. And so joining us this morning, talk about a new campaign that is helping bring awareness to this issue is Brian Leake. He is Director of External Communications at Bayer. Brian, talk a little bit about this lack of access to health and nutrition resources for Americans in rural areas. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I, I think you know you're you're spot on. I think what we've what we've realized is you know there is that need in in rural America, as you mentioned. And the fact is that ninety percent of the counties in the in the U.S. with the highest food insecurity rate are actually rural counties. And this um, you know this includes you know more than the thirty four million Americans, including nine million children that experience food insecurity. So it is a very real problem in the U.S. And it's it certainly over indexes in rural communities across the country. And it's not just, um, you know, access to affordable, healthy food either. Unfortunately, um, we also know that a lot of these areas are what, what we term uh, care desert. And that means that the access to not only the food, but health care that's, that's uh, needed in these 
in these uh, locations are also uh, very challenged. And yeah. um, more than a third of the population lives in a country where there is less than adequate access to things like, you know, pharmacies and primary health care providers and hospitals and things that a lot of Americans do kind of take for granted uh, that it, it's not a very big deal to go see a doctor or go to your local supermarket. But in these rural communities, it's um, it can be a challenge. Yeah. A couple of uh, points on that. Number one, it's ironic uh, the fact that many of these same rural areas are where we grow our food. And yet they are in, in many cases, uh, food insecure, food deserts. And uh, you talk about the, the lack of health care uh, resources. I know for a lot of folks, you know, they think, well, uh, you know, telehealth is maybe the answer to that. But in rural areas, uh, broadband Internet is uh, also an access. So that is not necessarily a solution there. So you have this uh, campaign. Uh, it's called Take Care Now, uh, aimed at helping people access these resources. How so? So, well, first of all, you know, Chris, you're, you're spot on. It's it, it's a very complex problem and it's certainly multifaceted and, and, you know, people look at bear, I think oftentimes and rightly so as, as the, you know, the, the maker and inventor of uh, aspirin and, and, you know, uh, the pain reliever leave and things like that. But, you know, bear is also a major, uh, you know, first of all, a life science company and, and a major, uh, player in the agriculture space as well. So mm-hmm. these rural communities are where our employees you know, live, work, and where we do business. So it makes perfect sense for us to look at these communities and, and not only try to create awareness about the discrepancy in, in access, but in, and to your point, the dichotomy between the production of food occurring in those communities, but the, you know, the, the access being limited where there aren't, you know, um, the, the fruits and vegetables and the healthy, right. uh, you know, access to some of these things right in their communities. But, you know, because of that, we, we have, we've acknowledged that that problem is bigger than just bear. And, and, you know, it has really required us to look at some strategic partners on our end. And what we've done is we've developed through this, uh, take care now campaign, a, uh, a partnership with a lot of different folks that specialize in different areas. And one of those, uh, key partners is Kroger. Uh, they, they have, um, of course have stores in some of these rural areas can address that access to healthy, uh, vegetables and fruits and, and nutritious foods, as well as things like pharmacies and, and kind of that first line healthcare, um, opportunities there. We're also working with, uh, Luke Bryant. Uh, Luke is, is people may not know, but a son of a, a peanut farmer and he's a farmer himself. So he definitely understands these uh, these rural communities, understands the need, and he's been uh, eager to help us and, and join our partnership. We're also working with Feeding America, which uh, works through the largest uh, group of food banks in the country to ensure that healthy, nutritious food gets to these communities, many of whom are rural, and, and gets uh, to the folks that are in, in most need. And then an organization called AgriSafe. And this organization really is focused on customized training for healthcare professionals and to embed these individuals 
into these rural markets to provide the healthcare service that currently uh, oftentimes doesn't exist. Just as a sidebar, uh, as folks may know, uh, Luke Bryan and his farm tour, which uh, again, uh, presented by Bayer and uh, part of uh, this effort is actually going to be in uh, in Millersport, so real close to home. There may be some folks who are planning on heading over there for uh, for that show, but that's all a big part of it. You are pulling out all the stops to get the word out and promote this and raise awareness. We are indeed, and I'm, I'm thrilled that you mentioned that too because I'll be uh, I'll be uh, along for the ride. I'll be going to all six shows, including the one in Millersport. So if any of your it's listeners a rough are job. there, I'll, I'll see you there. But- <laughs> you know what? It, every job has its perks, and this is definitely one. So it's, it's it's pretty awesome to be able to go to these communities and talk about the program, and then oh yeah, kind of take in a Luke Bryan concert at oh, the yeah. same time. So oh yeah, I definitely won't complain. <laughs> uh, where do folks get more information about the uh, Take Care Now campaign, and you know, working to bring some of these resources to areas where they just don't exist, and and address some of these uh, food and health desert areas so folks can go to our website bear.us and on there you'll you'll be able to learn more about the campaign understand what each of the partners are doing uh you know check out luke and see what he's he's doing and and uh some of the videos that that he's uh recorded as well and then you know also on on your uh social channels we encourage folks to share the hashtag here's for the farmer and that's really the kind of the mantra of the campaign and especially through the luke bryan farm tour at these farm, uh, at these tour sites, which again take place at local farms, it's just a way to, um, you know, to highlight the the farmer and and you know put them front and center for all the great work that they're doing to produce healthy, nutritious food for all of us. Absolutely, uh, such a deserving community. Brian Leake is director of external communications at Bear. Brian, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you, and take care now. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, longtime NFL executive Michael Lombardi will join us to talk about how the NFL became king of the American sports universe. It's in his new book, Football Done Right. Speaking of which, we'll get a preview for week number five already of the high school football season and, of course, another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.